0: Genesis 50, um, 15 through 26. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, uh, I beg you, Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But uh, as for you, you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid I will will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt and his father's household and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to their third generation, the children of Manchur and the son of Manethus were also brought up on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of where he swore to Abram, Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph said an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt.
1: If you want to turn in your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 37. What Paul just read for us was the legacy of Joseph and his life. The very last event that we have recorded of him uh, before he dies. But we're going to actually begin in the story of Joseph back in Genesis chapter 37. We're glad that you're here this morning. We know we've got visitors among us. We are glad that you are here. And I echo uh, Doug's welcome a little while ago that we are especially glad that uh, you've made it a point to come and worship with us today. Hope that you're made to feel welcome. And uh, there are blue attendance cards there on the back of the pew in front of you. And visitors, if you wouldn't mind to take one of those and fill it out. You can give it to the people that you're sitting with or just leave it there on your pew. But we'd love to have a record of your attendance. Have you ever looked in the mirror and saw somebody that you didn't necessarily expect? Maybe sometimes we are told what we reflect in, uh, in what people see in us, and sometimes we can see those things in ourselves. you ever looked in the mirror and see your mom or see your dad? See the reflection of somebody that uh, you didn't quite expect that you'd look like your mom or you didn't look like your dad, and you see those characteristics, and maybe you've been told before you have your mother's eyes or you have your father's smile or something similar to that. And you find that sometimes when we look into the mirror, we reflect somebody that, uh, that we were born to, the mom or dad. Maybe sometimes when we looked in our mirror, we reflect our siblings. I know that my brother and I, when we were growing up, I used to look up to my brother in certain things. And other things I'd look at him and say, no, I don't want to do that. But uh, I would always be paying attention because I, I, as the younger sibling, would see what my brother was doing and try and emulate some of the things that he did. So both good and bad, you know, as that happens with siblings. But sometimes we look in the mirror and we can see the reflection of our brothers or our sisters and their character and the, the types of things that we've watched them do or the types of things we've heard them say. Sometimes we can reflect the people that we're around, our peers, our friends, the people that we like to associate with. You know, sometimes when we talk to our kids about choosing the right kind of friends, and I hope that you, parents, you talk to your kids about that. We start noticing habits and patterns of speech and patterns of behavior in our children, and one of the best places to look to see where they're picking those things up is their friends. Solomon in the book of Proverbs counseled his son. He said, listen, I want you to be careful about the type of friends that you choose. He would say, make no friends with an angry man and with a furious man don't go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. We know maybe in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, be not deceived, evil companions, corrupt good morals. The truth of the matter is, is that sometimes that we're going to become like our friends because those are the people that we're around. We start reflecting our friends when we look in the mirror. Sometimes we reflect our culture. Both the attitudes and the dress and the actions and uh, the styles and things like that. And we've looked in our mirror and we want to be more in line with what the world says is popular and chic and trendy and all of those things. What do you reflect when you look in the mirror? Because we're all reflecting something and we're all reflecting something of the upbringing in which we've had. But what we want to look in the mirror and we want to see more than anything else is a person who glorifies God and who always trusts in him above all those other things some things of those things we can't necessarily control i can't necessarily control how much i'm going to look like my dad or my mom but what i can control is the way that i'm going to look and the way that i'm going to behave as a man of god or as a woman of god i do have that choice And every day I need to look in the mirror and say, am I becoming more in in the image of Jesus? Am I changing my mind and my heart and my character? Because listen, we're all changing and we're all going to become a person, but the person we are on the day we die is going to be a direct result of the character that we're cultivating today. You hear me? The person that we're going to be on the day we die is going to be a direct result of what we're reflecting every single day in our character. And so this morning I want to take just a little bit of time and look in the character of somebody who had every reason to reflect all of the ugliness of his parents. Who had all the reason to reflect the ugliness of what his brothers did to him. Who had every reason to reflect the, the, the culture and the, the immorality of, of the nations around him. He had every reason to reflect the the bad things that had happened to him. But what he did consistently, was amazing to me, is that he consistently reflected the character of a man who pleased God. A man who God was with. We're looking at the story of Joseph this morning from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis chapter 50. For those of you that may not be familiar with the story, Joseph was the chosen one. Joseph was the favorite child of the favorite wife, Rachel. And his father, Isaac, or his father, rather, Jacob, the man known as Israel, favored Joseph in a very particular way. Our culture, well, years ago, talked about Joseph in the amazing technicolor dream coat. And you talk about Joseph receiving a coat of many colors, a sign and a symbol that he is above the, his other brothers, the favorite child, a sign that his father looks at him differently than he looks at all the other of his children, Listen, you want to destroy your home, show favoritism in your family. Show favoritism to one child over the others. You want to really create problems and difficulties in the home, really start treating this child like he's different, either good or bad, than the other ones. And as Jacob began to treat Joseph like the favorite, as the favorite, the brothers, the other brothers that Joseph had began to hate him. And began to hate him to the point that Genesis 37 says they couldn't speak peaceably to him. And in fact, what they did was they plotted and schemed against him to kill him. But one of the brothers said, well, no, killing him might be a little bit harsh. Let's take him, let's throw him in this pit and let's sell him to these these slave traders. And that's exactly what they did. And Joseph, being 17 years old, through no fault of his own, found himself to be a slave in Egypt under a man by the name of Potiphar. And while he's there in Potiphar's house, he begins to prosper, he begins to do really well, he begins to be a man of respect and integrity, and Potiphar's wife comes and accuses him of trying to rape her, of trying to take something that was not his to take. Even though it wasn't true, Joseph suffered for that, he went into the prison, the king's prison. And while he was there in the king's prison, he interprets two dreams by two different servants of Pharaoh, the highest in the land of Egypt. And as he interprets these two dreams, one of them is going to be restored. And Joseph says, please remember me. Remember when you go back into Pharaoh's household. This is the the chief butler. And the man says, I won't forget Joseph. And yet he forgot him for two more years while Joseph stayed in a prison that he had no business in being. Until the point where Pharaoh himself dreams a couple of dreams and there's nobody that can interpret it except the chief butler says, oh wait, I remember there was a guy in prison, Pharaoh, that's in your prison right now that, can, that told me about my dream and told me, the, the, the chief baker, about his dream and he can tell you, I'm sure, your dream. Pharaoh says, well call him here. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams correctly and becomes second only to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And as the, he's second only in the land of Egypt, there is a famine, a severe famine in all the land that Joseph accurately predicted from the, or God accurately predicted through Joseph in the dreams of Pharaoh. And all of the world began to come to Egypt because Joseph had shrewdly and wisely prepared grains so that everybody could come and partake. You know who came among those? Those rotten mean brothers who came, who sold Joseph into slavery and it's now years down the road, and they look and they see this man that they've got to come buy grain from, and they don't recognize that that's the same brother that they sold into slavery. And through a cat and mouse type of game, through Joseph really uh, devising some tests to test their character and to check to see if these men have changed and if they're sorry for their sins and if they've repented, Joseph realizes that they're not the same guys who years ago sold them into slavery. And Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, and through the miraculous providence of God and and him uh, bringing Israel down into Egypt, God fulfills a promise that he made all the way back to Abraham from Genesis chapter 15, that his people are going to live in a land that's not theirs for 400 years. And through Joseph, through this young man who had every reason to reflect the ugliness of his culture, the ugliness of what his dad did, the ugliness of what his brothers did, the ugliness of the things that had happened to him— he consistently reflected a man who pleased God. Notice some characteristics about him just this morning as we talk about this together. Number one, what Joseph reflected firstly that I believe we can see clearly from his life is he reflected a a spirit of humility and submission to authority. All the way from the introduction of him here in Genesis 37, verses four and five, Joseph found favor, sorry, uh, I'm in Genesis 39, that's... It's not making sense. Genesis 37, verses 4 and 5. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. But notice also that Jacob one day tells Joseph that he's to go and to check on his brothers down at Shechem. Verse 13. Israel said to Joseph, are your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, and I'll send you to them. And he said, note the submissive, note the humility. Here I am. Now, if you're the favorite child of the favorite wife and you've got the coat of many colors and you're sitting there in the father's house while all the rest of your family is out working in the field and dad says, hey, come here. I want to send you over here. Come on, dad. Do I have to? I'm sure nobody in this room would ever say such a thing, right, to their father and treat them so disrespectfully. But Joseph says, here I am. There is a submission and a humility about him that's really uncommon. That's really not anything that we need to take lightly. If you actually notice... That when he goes here in Genesis 37 and meets his brothers, they beat him, they throw him in the pit, and they sell him into slavery. He ends up in Genesis 39 in Potiphar's house. Can you imagine what kind of slave that would make you? If you realized that all you were doing was going and checking on your brothers like dad told you to, and you realize that your brothers now have beaten you and sold you into slavery, and you're now in Potiphar's house, what kind of slave would you be? Joseph had every reason to be a rebellious, loudmouthed slave in the house of Potiphar. To be constantly throwing up his hands and going, Ah, it's just not fair. I just can't believe that this thing has happened to me. It's so unjust. It's so unfair. I had a roommate in college like that. I think I've spoken about them before. But whenever anything went wrong, it was always somebody else's fault. Whenever something really went wrong, it was always the teacher that gave him the bad grade. It was always the, the fact that somebody was profiling him or somebody was, was treating him a different because, because he missed out on stuff. When in reality, sometimes the difficult things that we have that happen to us maybe as a result of our own pride and our own sinful attitudes, but we always have an opportunity to show submission and humility. And that's what Joseph reflected. Note number two, Joseph reflected a strong work ethic. Joseph reflected a strong work ethic. When we're back in Genesis 37, verses 13, where he says, here I am, notice that his father is sending him from their uh, father's house from the home at Shechem, or sorry, in uh, Shechem, going all the way to Hebron. Now you say, well, okay, Shechem to Hebron, those are two biblical names, don't really know how far that was. Joseph is on a journey now of about 50 miles he doesn't have the opportunity to get in his Honda Accord and drive down and be there in less than an hour. You're talking about a journey of hours, if not days, for him to get down to check on his brothers. When he actually gets there to check on his brothers, he's wandering around in the field going, I know they should be here somewhere. You ever been done that? You know, I'm doing that in the parking lots more and more. Where did I park that car? And I'm wandering around the parking lot looking for my car. I'm, again, I'm probably the only one that's ever done that. It's okay. but, a man finds him, he says, Joseph, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers." He says, oh yeah, they went down to Dothan. That's an extra 15 miles, Joseph. 30 miles round trip. <sighs> Can you imagine him running back to his father and going, Dad, guess what? They're not where they said they'd be. The only sibling in history that probably ever <laughs> wanted to do that to go and tell on brothers and sisters. And instead he goes and he finds his brothers 15 more miles. When he gets to Pharaoh's household in Genesis 39. What's amazing to me is we don't find that rebellious loudmouth slave that we mentioned a little while ago. Instead, we find a man who noticed this, verse 2, the Lord is with Joseph, Genesis 30, uh, 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. He was in the house of the master in Egypt. And the master saw that the Lord was with him and that all the Lord made, he, uh, made all he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had, he put under his authority. Jump down also in verse, uh, uh, all the way down in verse 22. Joseph, after being accused of immorality, of, of trying to rape Potiphar's wife, he ends up in prison. Genesis 22 says, or 39, 22 says, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever he did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was not under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. There is no substitute for a good work ethic, is there? In fact, when you find Joseph years later in Pharaoh's household, doing Pharaoh's work, committing faithfully Everything that, he had, uh, that, uh, that Pharaoh had given to him, he was still a faithful man. He was still strongly devoted as far as his work ethic goes. I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. Christians, we ought to be different as far as how we work. We ought to be different with how we approach our job and how we approach the things that God has entrusted us with. Our stewardship, our jobs, our responsibilities at home, our responsibilities within life. Joseph, even though he had every reason to reflect, his father, his brothers, his culture, his peers, he reflected a strong work ethic. Notice number three, Joseph reflected a spotless character. Go into the book of Genesis 39. It mentions that Joseph was a handsome man. He was a good-looking fellow. He was a talented guy and there is a particular danger for those who are strong, those who are good looking, those who are talented and the master is not at home even though the master has committed everything to Joseph's hands. Genesis 39 verse 7 says the wife comes and she casts longing eyes on Joseph and as Joseph responds to her advances, notice what he mentions as far as why it is that he's not going to partake in this forbidden fruit as it were. And he says, verse 8, He refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he's had to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What he draws their attention to in her advances is, number one, His responsibility as a man who's been entrusted with a stewardship. Sometimes people that commit adultery, well, every time people commit adultery, they don't consider the cost of what that's going to cost them. As far as their integrity goes, as far as their character goes, as far as their job goes, as far as their livelihood goes, the cost is far too great. That's why God says, stay away from adultery, keep from fornication, stay away from those things. He draws attention to the fact that this is a married man, this is a married woman. He says, he hasn't cut back anything for me, but you because you're his wife. The sanctity of marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among all and the marriage bed undefiled for adulterers and fornicators. God will judge, Hebrews 13 verse 4. But he also draws her mind to his relationship with God. And the fact that if he does this wickedness, The sin is not just against Pharaoh, the sin is not just against Pharaoh's wife, but ultimately that sin is going to be against God. In fact, she's going to try and entreat him day after day after day, the Bible says. She's going to keep on entreating him to try and do this wickedness with her until the point where Genesis 39 and verse 11 says that he goes into the house to do his work, all the men are gone, and she grabs him by the garment and says, lie with me. Remember what Joseph did? He left his garment there and he ran out of the house. It was more important for him to have a spotless character, to have an integrity that's intact, than to reflect the wickedness of this age. A lot of people would say, Joseph, why not just give up? Why not just surrender? Why not just give in to whatever you feel like doing? When Joseph, remember, consistently reflected a character that pleased God. Number four, Notice what else we can notice from his life and from his circumstances. Joseph reflected patience. Look at Genesis 39, verse 23. Genesis 39, verse 23. As he goes into the prison, you remember that there was nothing that was in the prison that was not in his charge. And in fact, as he goes in Genesis chapter 40, he has the two men that I mentioned a little while ago that go in and uh, that have the dreams from God. And he goes in and interprets those dreams of the butler and the baker. And the butler's dream was good, that three days he's going to be getting out. Genesis 40 verse 14, Joseph says, I want you to remember me. I want you to show kindness to me because I'm in here and I'm in here uh, through no wrong of my own. Make mention of me to Pharaoh. And the butler says, okay, I'm going to do it. In verse 21 of Genesis 40, says, Pharaoh restored the butler, he kills the baker. In verse 23, the butler forgot. He did not remember Joseph. Notice the gap between Genesis 40 and verse 23 all the way to 41, verse 1. At the end of two full years. What are you thinking about if you're Joseph? Maybe today's the day. I did this great good for the butler, and I know that he's going to remember me before Pharaoh today. And every time he hears the, the steps down the hall, he's thinking, this is the day I'm getting out. I know this is going to be it. It's not this day. It's not the next day. Not the next day. Not the next day. For two full years. I would imagine if you have an expectation like that that's not met for two full years, they can have a tendency to breed a little bit of bitterness, don't you? A bit, breed a little bit of resentment towards the, towards the butler. And maybe you're trying to affect something, it's to affect some kind of change and telling the keeper of the prison, listen, I told him to remember me before Pharaoh. Can you go check on him? Can you go bring him down here? Can you go tell him? We get impatient, don't we? We don't like to wait, do we? We're like Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka, right? Don't care how, I want it now and yet joseph had every reason to reflect the impatience of his culture and the impatience of his circumstance but he continually reflected a character that pleased god notice number next number five joseph reflected a forgiving spirit after he is moved out of prison after he's exalted to second in command over all of egypt And after he's uh, over the grain stores of Egypt, after seven years of plenty, then now become the seven years of famine. And 22 years have gone by, and he has not seen those rotten, mean brothers that had tried to kill him, beat him up, and sold him into slavery. And as they come, and he's reunited with them, you see a certain amount of wisdom and, and shrewdness with regard to how Joseph deals with those brothers, to see if they've really changed from who they were. And notice as Joseph reveals himself in Genesis 45 and verse 5. Turn over there, please. As Joseph reveals himself in Genesis 45, verse 5, notice he says, Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. To verse 7, jump down to there. He says, To preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives from a great deliverance. You know what the world says? You know what culture says? You've got them right where you want them. Now's the time to strike. Now's the time to take vengeance. Don't you know, Joseph, you're supposed to be bitter after 22 years of not seeing those rotten, stinking brothers, and you haven't been home in so long, and now you have them right where you want them? Kill them. Make them suffer like you suffered. Make them hurt like you've hurt. Make them regret that decision with every breath that they take. And yet you don't find that. You don't find that. They took 22 years of his life away, and he does something that they absolutely don't forget, and they don't expect. He forgives them. Where is this coming from? Why does he do this? Because Joseph consistently reflected a character of a man that pleased God. Note this, number six. What did Joseph reflect? A steadfast trust in the person and in the promises of God. I wish we had the time this morning to go all the way back to Genesis 37 and look at how many times Joseph in his speech, Joseph in his character, Joseph in his actions pointed people to the God that he trusted in. Because I think it's astounding how often it is that all you see is Joseph and his actions, but somewhere there in the context you find the Lord was with him. That Joseph honored the Lord with his speech by saying, how can I do this great wickedness with Potiphar's wife and sin against God? About telling the butcher and the baker, that, or the butler and the baker, that there was, there was a God in heaven who could tell them the dreams about how he went to Pharaoh and how he told Pharaoh, there's a God in heaven that can tell you dreams, that can interpret them for you. About how in the forgiveness of his brothers, Genesis 50, God meant, you meant this as evil against me, but God meant it as good. And looking and realizing his steadfast devotion, his steadfast trust in the person and the promises of God, Joseph knew something about God that nobody could stop him from reflecting. Joseph knew something about the promises of God and him bringing something to pass that nobody could do anything about. Flip back to Genesis chapter 37 just for a moment. Verses 5 and 9 detail two two dreams that Joseph had. One of them was he and his brothers working out in the field and the sheaves, the the, the sheaves that they had around them, the, the 12 sheaves, bowed down to his sheaf. And as the 11th chiefs bowed down to him, his brothers understood that that was a prophecy, a dream, that he was going to stand a position of authority while all of the brothers bowed down to him. And then he dreamed again about the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to him. And his dad interpreted that and said, Really? Is me and your mom and your brothers going to really bow down to you? Joseph had those two dreams. Make this connection just For a moment, flip over to Genesis 41, verse 32. Genesis 41, verse 32. As Pharaoh has two dreams, one about the fat cows and one about the skinny cows, one about the fat sheaves and one about the skinny sheaves, as Joseph begins to, by the power of God, tell the dreams, note what he says there in verse 32, because that's key for, I believe, the theology of the way that caused Joseph to reflect God's goodness no matter the circumstances. Joseph said the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because this thing is established by God and God will bring it to pass. As Joseph dreamed those two dreams back in Genesis 37, don't you know there was a confidence to realize that God in his own time, God in his own way is going to bring about these these dreams to come to pass. And I'm going to trust in him. I'm not going to let go of those promises that he made. I'm going to devote myself to the God that's told me these things. And he told Pharaoh the same thing. Pharaoh, God's giving you this dream twice because he's telling you, you can take it to the bank, Pharaoh. God is going to bring this to pass. And him holding on to those promises and that trust in God is what got him through those miserable, difficult times in his life him holding on to what God had told him that he absolutely will come to pass, those things that that are not up for discussion, those things changed Joseph from the inside out. And all throughout his life, he reflected that character and that integrity that God wanted him to, regardless of what people were telling him he ought to reflect. Don't you know you ought to be bitter, Joseph? Don't you know you ought to be angry? Don't you know you ought to be rebellious? Don't you know you ought to be uh, just giving yourself up to any lust that comes along? Why not sleep with Miss Potiphar? She's offered it. Go ahead. Joseph's devotion to God made the rest of those things exactly what they were. By way of application, brothers and sisters, I don't know if you realize this or not, but our children, we want the best for our children, don't we? And you look at these things up here and Yes, I hope that you want to reflect these things yourself. But I hope that you also want to reflect these things or your children to reflect these things, no matter what you look like as a parent, no matter what the culture looks like, no matter what their siblings look like, no matter what their peers look like, no matter what the world tells them they ought to look like. We want our children, don't we, to look look like these things? Do you realize a majority of our children in this congregation have spent the last four months, three or four months, with a person like Joseph learning not only his habits learning not only all the little facts about his life about when things happened to him just like what we retold just a few moments ago but they've been learning things about who he is as God's man and God's servant if my kids have friends that look like these things up here i'm going to be a happy dad But I'm going to be a happy dad if I instill in my children to have these things themselves and to be that kind of friend like Joseph was and to be that kind of man that Joseph was. And as we look into the Word of God, folks, it is not just an academic exercise. Our kids went yesterday and they participated in Bible Bowl. Let me tell you, they did amazingly well. We are so proud of them. We're bursting our buttons, as my grandmother would say. But we're bursting our buttons for a different reason because we are winners as a people of God because our children have spent time looking in and studying the character of this man primarily through Genesis chapter 25 through Genesis chapter 50. Don't you want your kids to be able to say, it doesn't matter what evil comes to me in this life. You may mean it for evil, but I know God's meaning it for good. We know that all things work together to them who love God and those who are called according to his purpose, Romans chapter 8. Don't we want our children to be holding on to the the promises that God has made to them and not reflect what the ugliness of the culture is or their peers, their family, or or God forbid, mom or dad. Our kids are winners because they've spent time in the word of God. And parents, grandparents, church, we have that choice every single time the Word of God is opened to say this is the type of character that we ought to be cultivating as individuals. This doesn't just apply to our children. This applies to you and me too. But this is what we want for our children more than anything else. Why are we not spending more time in the Word of God as families? Why are we not spending more time helping our kids to realize no matter what Goofiness goes on in this world. They can hold fast to the promises of God. He's going to bring it to pass. And He's given us far, something far greater than just telling us a dream two times. He's given us the resurrection of His Son as a seal that He's going to be faithful to us. And it doesn't matter, come what may in this life, whether good or bad, whether high or low, sickness and health, riches or poor. Nobody can take that away from us. What's amazing to me is Joseph is only one of few personalities within Scripture that Scripture has nothing negative to say about him. But how many of these things are reflections of the way that our Savior looks and the way that our Savior behaves and the way that our Savior wants us to follow in his steps? Friends, when you're looking at the life of Joseph as a godly man, you're looking at the life of a man who reflects the beauty of Jesus. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Spend time in the Word of God, looking at men like Joseph, who reflected the beauty of our God, who reflected the beauty of our Savior. And spend time cultivating these characteristics, not because... They may make you successful in business, not because they may exalt you to second in all the land, but because this is the integrity and the character of a man who pleases God. What do you reflect when you look in the mirror? Brothers and sisters, sometimes we look in the mirror and we're ashamed of what we see. We're ashamed as people of God because we're not enough like the Savior. And you realize that we're all works in progress and that we're not all the people that we ought to be. All have sinned and do fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, verse 23. But as we live by faith, what we're doing is we're putting our hope and our our trust in the person and the promises of Jesus Christ. And we're trying to be more like him every day. God, give us grace to do that and to change our character to be more godly. Are you living your life by faith, Christians? If not, why not? If not, how can we help you? If not, how can we encourage you to live more godly in Christ Jesus? How can we encourage you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? How can we encourage you to develop more of the character of our Savior reflected here in the life of Joseph? Maybe this morning you're not a Christian. Maybe it is this morning that you're ready to obey the gospel. We talked about the gospel in Bible class this morning. And realizing that it absolutely involves baptism. It absolutely involves submission to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in order for somebody to become a child of God, they must obey the voice of God that tells them, obey the gospel, follow after Jesus. If we can help you to do that, we want to encourage you and want to help you as best we can. Let's stand and sing our invitation song.